Tell me upon whom does the Old Testament expect the Spirit to come? Uh, in general, it came upon prophets like Moses, and um, but it's been prophesied in, in Isaiah to come onto people, uh, onto a, a more widespread group of people, more than just the few chosen before. So I think it's set to come upon us. In Isaiah? Yep. Uh, well, that was claimed by uh, someone. Someone. They didn't give you a chapter and verse. Uh, no. Okay. That's uh, right. Whom the Holy Spirit comes upon, that's quite right about the, uh, in general, yeah. We looked at a bit about Joel, like Joel chapter two. So I guess it's interesting, kind of got the idea it's generally it's all, but maybe in terms of the context, I would have thought at least Israel. Okay, good Um, Our group said, also said Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says all flesh. Mm -hmm. Okay, does that mean the whole of humanity, does it? I'm just quoting Joel. <laughs> um, but then he goes on to say, um, like young men and old men and even the servants. So it seems like, um, yeah, the spirit's not going to be to one specific, like you don't have to be necessarily a prophet to, to have the spirit in those days. And when you receive the spirit, will that make you a prophet? I don't know. We didn't discuss that. Um, oh. It did say that, oh, Joel did say that they'll prophesy. Yes. So, well yeah. done. Well done. Upon whom the spirit comes. Um, we Yeah, we made mention to... Uh, no, muting. Oh, we looked at Numbers 11, 29. Yeah, good. Good. Um, where, uh, yeah, that Moses wishes that all God's people be were prophets and the spirit would be on them. Yep. Um, and um, in Isaiah 42, verse 1, the servant. Ah, good man, the servant, yes. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Can you read that for us or you haven't got it? Um, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations. Good. Yeah, okay. And... Now that we've got the spirit, is there anybody else upon whom the spirit, uh, we've got the servant, is there anyone else upon whom the spirit will come? Stay there, I'll come back to you in a moment or two, but anybody else can think of anywhere else in the scriptures or any other person that the spirit is going to come upon? Have we said Ezekiel 36, 37 yet? We haven't, and that's, who does the spirit come upon there? Seems to be in chapter 37, uh, the, the two parts of Israel coming together. So all of um, God's people receiving yep. a new heart. Yep. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we'll hear more because I think actually it's the Christ that we need to hear about. But we'll hear about him in a moment or two. The Spirit's going to come upon the Christ, the servant and the Christ and all people. Now, the all people is what we're going to be looking at next week. It's all the people of the nation. It's all Israel, or it's the true new Israel, or it's all Christians, or but it's all, there's going to be some widespread universal kind of spirit coming upon. Whereas Adam started off as on the right track, Adam's group, you see. In general, the spirit came upon prophets, 
priests and kings really, but the prophets in particular. And so quick enough to pick up that, yes, if it comes upon all flesh, then the next words are, and they shall prophesy. So it's part of being a prophet that you have the spirit of God, which the number 11, numbers 11 is the same kind of thing too, isn't it? That seeing people prophesy, Joshua says to Moses, stop them. And he says, no, I wish all God's people had the spirit like that. Okay. Let's hear about the spirit and the Christ and the spirit and the suffering servant. Uh, Phil, you going to talk to us about the Christ? Is that right? I'd love to, Philip. Good on um, you. Guys, I'm going to uh, give a quick chat, uh, talk from Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 5. Uh, could I have someone with stable internet stick up their electronic hand to volunteer to read that? Isaiah 11. One to five. Uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Thanks, Uday. Um, I've got three really simple points. We're going to see this shoot who spiritually sentences. If you're a note writer, we're going to see a shoot who spiritually sentences. Uh, sentences is going to be like a legal sentence, you know, like Judge Judy giving that kind of sentence, not like writing sentences. But let me start by telling you about something from my childhood. Uh, growing up, uh, we had this big tree growing up next to our house and it was dropping leaves and stuff. It was dangerous to our house. And so my dad and I, we were like, right, let's go cut this tree down right at the bottom, get rid of it so it doesn't endanger our house. So we get out there, the chainsaw, cut it down right to the bottom. Uh, and dad said, mm, you can't just leave a tree like that. We got to throw some poison on the top too. So we got this big barrel of poison and put it on the top of the tree so it wouldn't grow back. But wouldn't you know it, a couple of months later, do you know what happened? Down out of the bottom, there was a little shoot, a little green shoot that stuck out the bottom. Before you know it, a whole stack of them did and it all regrew again and we were in the same trouble as it kind of grew up next to the house. Uh, why do I tell you that story? Because that's kind of the, the picture that Isaiah uses here. Um, he uses this uh, about this shoot shoot coming from the stump of Jesse. Uh, now, Jesse was uh, David's dad. So this is a, a promised Messiah. That's who this shoot is. Uh, and before in Isaiah, this kind of image gets picked up about the, the nation being a stump that's been cut down. Back in chapter six, uh, we hear about them being cut down. Um, but from this stump, this bare stump that's been judged by God, a shoot will come. And that's this uh, messianic uh, savior so that's the, the shoot the shoot but what does the shoot do the shoot spiritually sentences well let's focus in on sentence sentence have a look at verse two the spirit of the lord will rest on him this shoot uh, this special figure uh the this this son of david the spirit is going to rest on him now it's a big deal right because back in the old days uh, uh the nation had judges right and the spirit would come upon them. 
and to do uh, to to judge and to bring justice. And David, when he's anointed uh, by Samuel, the Spirit rushes upon him to do this great work. So this shoot will spiritually sentence. Uh, now, hang on a second. Uh, this guy's going to have the spirit, right? So what's the spirit going to mean for this messianic uh, savior? Is he going to have like laser eyes? Is the Holy Spirit going to give him laser eyes? He's going to be like, pew, 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 get rid of all the enemies. No, 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 no. Take a look at the passage. What, what's this spirit do? What's this shoot do? Keep going in chapter two, a spirit of wisdom and, uh, and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. This shoot will spiritually sentence. He's going to start judging. He's going to be running the country, but he's going to do it in a way that's just. Now, you take any kind of judge today, all they can do is assess uh, what's in front of them, uh, what people tell them. But uh, this judge, he will judge justly which is something that was seriously lacking in the nation and something that we lack today or four and five he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land he will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips righteousness will be a belt around his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist uh, we see here uh, this beautiful picture that this shoot, this, this descendant of David, is going to come to bring true justice when the Holy Spirit comes on him. Uh, now, I think we all know who this shoot is, right? It's Jesus. Remember, uh, at the baptism, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And yes, he brought justice and mercy in the cross, but we know that Jesus is coming back again another day soon to bring justice and judge the whole earth. Uh, so that was the shoot who spiritually sentences with justice. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Mike, tell us about the servant, the suffering servant, also in Isaiah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be sharing a, my screen real quick. Um, I'll tell you about uh, the spirit and the servant in Isaiah. Um, can anyone see that? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Um, so now uh, Phil's already shown us a bit about um, uh, what Isaiah is about. Uh, in in the book of Isaiah, oops, in the book of Isaiah, there's actually um, uh, in the in the second half of Isaiah, there are these bits of poetry uh, or, or songs, um, and there are four of them in the second half. And you can see uh, on on the slide Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 52, all the way to 53. So these are the four um, so-called servant songs in Isaiah. Now. Uh, even if you have not heard of the seven songs in Isaiah, I want you to throw in the chat, who do you think the servant is? Right? Who do you think the servant is? Just 10 seconds, just type up, who do you think uh, this servant is? Got to be Jesus, says Phil. Immediate context, Israel, the Messiah, Israel. Any other thoughts? Who, who do you think the servant is? The Apostle Paul, all right, um, in the New Testament. Well, we're going to look through uh, all of those uh, seven songs real quick, and um, we'll hopefully be able to see, have an idea of who uh, the servant is. So in 42, uh, one, we see, uh, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, 
in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice uh, to the nations. So we see here the servant is God's chosen. God has put his spirit upon him. And what's he going to do? He's going to bring justice to the nations, right? Bring justice to the nations, like what um, chapter 11 was talking about. So, you know, this will build up your picture of who, who this servant might be. In 49, if you look at the highlighted part, it says, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I'll be glorified. There you go. So um, some of them, some of you guys said Israel. So it says here, you know, Israel. So case closed, right? Israel is God's servant. Israel is God's chosen. God has put the spirit on the leaders of Israel. Um, the, the spirit rests on the king of Israel. And, you know, when the king, the king and the nation was almost um, uh, not interchangeable. They were very closely related, right? When the king was good, the nations were good and they obeyed. When the king was bad and evil, the nations was evil and in, and in sin. Right? So the king and uh, the nation of Israel are deeply intertwined. So Israel um, in Isaiah 49 verse 1 looks like the servant is uh, Israel. Right? Israel is meant to bring justice to the nations. This is, um, but if you read on from uh, to verses 5 and 6 in the same chapter, uh, we see uh, it says here that uh, Israel or this servant is to bring Jacob back to him um, and that Israel might be gathered to him. So it looks like this servant, whoever he is, is someone distinct, is separate from Israel. Israel is to gather to him, gather to this servant. So is this servant Israel or not? What's going on here? We're going to keep looking. Uh, Isaiah 50, uh, this is the third servant song. It says, the Lord God has opened my ears and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. This is the, the servant talking here. Um, and in fact, it says, you know, I, I was not rebellious. Could, could Israel actually say that, to say that they were not rebellious? And in verse 10, it says, Whom, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? So it seems that, um, you know, if you fear Yahweh, you fear the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, um, you obey the voice of this servant. So could it be Israel? Could it be the king of Israel? Uh, maybe this is something uh, David might say in the Psalms. Now we turn to the last uh, servant song and the most famous, um, which goes from 52 all the way to 53. Uh, and it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because he poured out his soul to death, that's verse 12, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So who is this servant? I don't know if you've noticed as we've looked through uh, the four seven songs uh, and super speedily, uh, that Isaiah actually is intentionally ambiguous. If you say Israel, uh, you'd be right, right? Uh, it, it seems like it's a particular nation, Israel. God has commissioned Israel as his servant, um, his kingdom of priests and holy nation in Exodus. Israel was meant to channel God's salvation to the whole world. 
The ministry of God's servant is to bring the entire world under the righteous rule of God. So Israel is a servant. Sorry, Israel is a servant, but they failed. They failed and all that's left is a trail of destruction. However, there is another servant, a unique servant, a suffering servant we see in Isaiah 52, 53, especially. Uh, the servant who actually fulfills everything that Israel was supposed to be. In fact, like super fulfills everything that Israel was meant to be. And this picture sort of shows, you know, all that God said about the servant Israel is fulfilled successfully in Jesus Christ. Um, at least in this suffering servant, right? whoever the suffering servant is, uh, which we know is, is Jesus. Um, but it also speaks about how uh, later on in New Testament, we are caught up in this as well. Uh, so we can look at the, uh, uh, we go back to Isaiah 42 when he says, you know, uh, my servant, my chosen, the one I've put my spirit upon him and he brings forth justice. It first and foremost speaks about the suffering servant, the unique suffering servant with the fulfillment of uh, all that Israel was meant to be. And in fact, um, he is the one whom the Lord has laid our iniquity upon. Uh, and that verse, Isaiah 53, 6, is, uh, is the verse in our um, new uh, Two Ways to Live uh, gospel uh, presentation. Okay, well, we're going to go to a breakout room about the Bible. But first, I need someone to be reading for us from Mark's gospel. Uh, if we can go to Mark chapter 1, please. Mark chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 13, please. 4 to 13. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have been ba I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, we come to the next breakout room. And there are four questions, it's, but it's on the passage. So it's fairly simple, like last week. They're just comprehension ones. What did John promise? What happened at Jesus' baptism? Whom did the voice say Jesus was? And what did the Spirit do to Jesus? They're just comprehension questions, friends. Four minutes, we'll see you back again. Okay, what did, Jesus, what did John promise? Um, someone is going to come after him who's more powerful and he's unworthy to untie his sandals. Yep. Okay. What else did he promise about this other person? Oh, that he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So he's not only coming and he will be baptized with the Spirit, but that's, we're not told there, but he's going to baptize other people with the Spirit which is interesting, isn't it? Okay. Uh, 
What happened at Jesus' baptism? So the spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. Okay. And and whom did the voice say Jesus was? The, the voice beloved son? Johnson. Yeah. Anything else? The voice is well placed with him. I'll just say God. Yeah, well we placed. assume it's God, don't we? That's right. Okay. Now, we can read what it says. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. What did that mean? He was well pleased when he first made the earth in the first, in Genesis. Yes. So he hasn't really repeated that until now. That's very clever. I've never heard anyone say that before. I'll, I'll think about it later on. Thank you. Where do you think it comes from? The voice from heaven, God, says, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. What did he mean by saying that? Maybe in Isaiah 42 it talks about oh, yes, yes. the Lord delighting in yeah. heaven. So it might be related with the pleasure here. Yes. Yep. That's right. With whom I am well pleased comes out of Isaiah 42.1. I will put my spirit on him and I will be pleased in him. Mm. Where does the first half, you are my beloved son, come from? Psalm, psalm 2. 2, that's right. Psalm 2 is the great psalm about the Messiah, about the Christ. And what God says to the Christ is, you are my beloved son. So we now have two Old Testament verses put together. You are my beloved son, Psalm 2, with whom I am well pleased, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Both are connected to the Spirit. But what we put together is the Christ, the conquering ruler of the universe, and the suffering servant who's going to lay down his life for other people. And as best we know, it was very difficult to know a negative, as best we know, no one had ever put those two things together before. Quite reasonably, no one put them together. One's a conquering king, the other's a suffering servant. They don't vaguely sound even like each other, do they? But these two put together at the baptism of Jesus really important to tell you that God and Jesus knew right from the beginning that he was coming to be king, Christ, by suffering servant. So if you, if you knew your Old Testament, you would know from the baptism what was going to happen 15 chapters later. But you got to know your Old Testament, don't you? But what did the Spirit do to Jesus in this passage? Yes, send him into the wilderness to do what? to be tempted. Is that what you would have expected? Now, whatever we expect the Spirit to do, we're not expecting him to drive Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted. That's because we haven't understood yet the suffering servant. We haven't understood yet the Christ. He doesn't come into the world to be spared of sinfulness, the exact reverse. He comes into the world to battle with Satan and to go straight out into the wilderness to do battle with him in the temptations. Right? Jesus came into the world to save sinners by having sin laid upon himself. Ah, there we go. Interesting little passage, isn't it? Well, before we go much further, I want us to, uh, uh, to have a bit of an interview, firstly uh, with Andrew and Wendy. There's somebody else I'm supposed to be interviewing too, isn't there? Uh, so if we just spotlight Andrew for a moment or two, he will be able to tell us about where he grew up. 
I, uh, I grew up in Penrith and then moved to Parramatta. So I grew up in Western Sydney. But your, your movement eastwards from Penrith to Parramatta is going to continue further eastward soon, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. So next year I'll be I'll be moving to the eastern suburbs. So I'm skipping the inner west and Newtown and all those suburbs that no one cares about and going straight to to Randwick. To the promised land. Amen. Okay. Okay. Even though for, for the promised land, Abraham migrated west. Oh, no. Okay, well, that, we won't pursue this further. Let's uh, uh, take up then. Uh, uh, when did you become a Christian? Um, I became a Christian in year nine of high school. Um, mm-hmm. I, I went to, a, I went to a, a great high school. My parents uh, paid good money to send me there, and I'm glad they did because I received eternal riches there um and, and learn about the gospel and that it was important for my life there and i was living as sort of a lukewarm christian neither hot nor cold and there was a sermon uh on that passage in revelation of on that letter and basically said you can't be lukewarm you can either live your life for jesus and anything other than that is against jesus even if you're 99 with jesus you're not with jesus at all and that really kicked me into shape. And so I had to figure out if Jesus was really deserving of my lordship. And and he was. Mm, good. Well, we're really glad to hear. And, and after school, what did you do? I went to university. I, I went to UNSW uh, and I, I studied uh, economics and commerce with the uh, aim of making money. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? It's a good course to do for making money, isn't it? Yep. And even if you're not making it, you're counting other people. So yeah, you learn about other people's money and hopefully you, you take some off the top. But you, you, you don't sound the kind of typical accountant. You know, your accountants are supposed to be conservative, introverted kind of people. Uh, that's yeah. not your character, is it? No, no, no. I think I'm, I think I'm an extrovert. Uh, I like people and I like meeting people and talking to people. Um, I'm just going to go back to the gallery. Put your hands up if you've ever thought that Andrew was extroverted. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we, we're all agreed there, brother. You're, you're, okay, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. I thought I was revealing something very secret. Yeah, <laughs> that only that only I knew. Yeah, very personal to me. Okay. Well, uh, when you're moving to, who are you working with? You finished uni, you're studying, and you're doing what? Where you're working as an I, I work in I work in accounting and tax consulting for a uh, for a, an accounting firm in Sydney called Ernst and Young, mm-hmm. um, and I'm finishing up towards the end of November, and I'll be working with Campus Bible Study next year on at at UNSW. Okay, what are you going to be doing with it? I will be part of. I'll be living at New College Village, which is one of the residential villages uh, associated with New College across the road on Anzac Parade. And I'll basically, the way I think about it currently is there's about 400 people living there. And so I have 400 housemates that I have to tell about Jesus. And so um, I'm living with them and they're my neighbors and some of them live three stories below me, but we all eat meals together. We all spend time together. And so, um, my main ministry will be telling them about Jesus uh, and helping run a couple of Bible study groups that meet at New College Village. 
um, but there's also a little bit of time and so I'll be using some of that extra time to start a team that will be reaching out to Muslims on campus um, and telling Muslims about Jesus and figuring out ways that we what? can discuss Christianity with Muslims. There's all kinds of people you can be interested in, so why Muslims? Ah, I, uh, my, both my parents are from Syria and they both migrated here. I'm first generation Australian and I can speak Arabic. I learned Arabic as my first language. And uh, I think it'd be a bit of a shame to, 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 to focus on Chinese people if I, if I can speak Arabic. Um, you know, there's lots of people who, who, who can speak Mandarin or Cantonese and they should go to minister to people from, from those backgrounds. And, and, and I can speak Arabic and so I, I should go to people from, from that background. And I, you know, it's my culture, it, it's what I know. Um, I like to argue and so does everyone else in my culture. So that, that always helps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is for two years you're doing this, this is part of the apprenticeship with Campus Bible Study? Yep, two years. What, what's the goal after that? Two years, uh, and then the idea would be to go uh, to study at more college. At the moment, that's the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, but for at least three years, uh, probably four. four. Probably four. four. Yeah. Don't, ever, don't ever let me hear you hear that word three ever again. Okay, sure thing, Philip. Four years at more college mm -hmm. um, and, and spend some time working with some churches in in South and Southwest Sydney that are more Muslim Muslim focused. So Greenacre, Lakemba, um, Auburn, those sort of churches and sort of get some cultural training and then potentially do two more years of training after that with something called Mentac, uh, which is a CMS program for mentoring across cultures, which trains you up to do really good cultural ministry to Muslims and then potentially go onto the mission field or go back to UNSW and maybe start be, be a full-time staff member working with Muslims or yeah just be good. A, good. something in a local church that works with Muslims good now we've got several people from forums who are heading off for next year I mean there'll be people changing all kinds of things but we've got four people that we know from uh, our forums Ollie, who's generally runs youth groups on Friday nights, so is not with us except in school holidays. And Thanks, uh, Ben and, and uh, Emily, who come on Thursday nights, uh, and Andrew. Uh, but there are some others as well. Gloria is also uh, going to do the same job uh, and an apprenticeship next year. And so what we need to be doing is praying for these people. Mm -hmm. uh, encouraging them in the uh, choices they're making and but we also need to be supporting them because there's they're not paid particularly to do that other than the money they raise so if people want to support you Andrew how do they do that the best and easiest way to do it is to jump onto my website andrewbarrage.com uh, you can find a little bit of a description at the top and then if you scroll down there'll be two nice links in orange one that says questionnaire and there you can put your email and sign up to my prayer newsletter and that's the main way i'm going to be keeping in touch and you can also say that you want to partner financially and i can get in touch with you and sort out the details um if if in this short time you've been convinced uh that you you want to give to the ministry of cbs and the ministry that i'm partnering with 
them in, then underneath that link, there's a second link um, that you can also click uh, that says website. And you click that and it takes you directly to the Campus Bible Study Support website and you can fill in the details there. So I start off with Andrew Barrage, B-A-R-I-C-H, Barrage.com. I'll put it in the chat .com. right now. Put it in the chat right now. But we want to encourage uh, this work amongst them. Uh, now, Wendy, I had a funny feeling that I'm supposed to actually ask some people about launch at the moment too, aren't I? Justin is going to talk to us about, oh, yes, Justin, asking Justin Justin, about. there he is. Keep your sunglasses off, mate. Talk to us. Look us in the eye with genuine sincerity and tell us about what we need to know at the moment about launch. Yes, no, I'd love to. Um, I've just got another monitor flicking you over to the right one. So <clears throat> there's a little bit of audience participation for this one. So I'm going to do a bit of a poll here, okay? Stick your hand up in the air if you like things that are awesome. All right, pretty unanimous about that. Keep your hand raised if you like things that are awesome for yourself, but also for other people. <laughs> awesome. And also keep your hand raised if you like things that are awesome even more because they're about encouraging people who've just finished year 12 to get into contact with their uni ministries and to grow in their faith in Christ. Awesome. Then we are clearly unanimous here at forums about how awesome launch is uh, as a ministry. So I thought uh, I'd give a quick rundown. We've, we've been talking about it and plugging it a few weeks lately. Um, so launch is coming up uh, February next year and it's a great camp. I'm actually going for my fourth time. Um, I've been, this will be the third time I've led and I went on the first camp as a camper. And I found it so helpful to have this four day period where we went along and heard teaching from the Bible uh, from Philip. And at the time it was uh, Andrew Barry who also gave the teaching. Um, and we learned about the resurrection and we were really, I describe it like whacked in the face with the gospel, um, just the reality of it. And it was um, genuinely changed my life at that point. Like it, I think there's a, there's an idea you'll notice launch is launch. That's the title of the, the camp. And then what's the title of the camps we have here at forums trajectory. And that's, there's a, I think there's an intention there because launch launches people onto the trajectory that they're going to follow for the rest of their lives. So for me, I got in contact with forums and I got in contact with Uni Bible Group on campus at Wollongong. Um, and I've been able to be a part of those ministries for three years now. And it's been so really great. So I really encourage all of you to be actively looking out uh, for people at your churches, people that you know, youth groups, um, year 12 ministries, etc. People who are in year 12, they're going to be doing the HSC right now. And they're looking for something to do in February. Even if they've got plans, tell them to cancel them and come along to launch. Um, one thing I've learned about inviting people to launch, it takes a few invites. So it's the consistency that I'd encourage. Uh, one, uh, there's two people that I've got in mind at the moment who I'm working with in a kids ministry at my church, actually. Um, so yeah, if anyone could be praying as well, that would be fantastic. Praying that people would come along to launch 
that they'd be open to hearing the gospel um, and that their lives would be changed, that they'd be launched onto a gospel-shaped trajectory for the rest of their lives. And uh, Sheed, Lachlan Sheed, has helpfully put the Facebook video in the chat there. So would highly recommend sending that off to people um, that you know. But yeah, launch well us, get on board. Well done. Thank you very much. Now we're going to go for a two-minute prayer meeting. So when you go into your groups, I want one person to pray for the next generation of leaders, more college apprenticeships, trainings, in particular, remember Andrew uh, or the others who are leaving us, to, well, they're not leaving us, but they're going to change their jobs next year. And then another person to pray for launch, and especially for the HSC kids this year. I mean, you know, HSC is an awful experience at the best of time, isn't it? And uh, this year, it's got to be worse than that, hasn't it? Just as dreadful as uh, you got to feel for them. And it's pretty hard for them to make decisions about launch or anything else at the moment because they're just paralysed, some of them. So do pray for the year 12 kids uh, that you may know. So two people in each group to lead in prayer. Don't waste time in the big silence. Go for it straight away and we'll come back in two minutes. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to be looking at the day of Pentecost. So get in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And uh, we've got a slightly longer read this time. Verses 1 to 21. 1 to 21 of Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling, they were dwelling in their now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were be bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and El Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Figria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, we have five questions, so I'll give you five minutes for it. Only one question really requires thinking. The rest just requires good observation of the text in front of you. So which groups were present at the feast? Uh, what did the spirit do? I think we have uh, this on PowerPoint, don't we, as well? What did the, pres what did the spirit do? Here's the one that takes a, bit of, a little bit of thinking. Why are the nations listed? Because that's that you've got to do more than just read the text to get that one. What was the spirit's message? And what did Peter say was happening? Pretty straightforward questions, five minutes, and we'll come back with different answers. Okay. Uh, which groups were, were present at the feast? So big long list. We had Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judea. Okay, so you gave us the list yeah. of the nations. Good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Any other groups there? Um, the only thing to add would just be like in verse five, they were devout men from every nation. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? What a very interesting expression, devout men from every nation that were there. Yes. Anybody else? Yeah, every nation under heaven. So there were devout people who were really impressed, but there must have been some enemies as well because they said mockingly, these people are filled with wine. Anyway, what did the spirit do? What did the spirit do is the second question. Came upon uh, heaps of people who were there and they were able to speak in languages that weren't theirs as well as they were able to understand. Yeah, what else did the spirit do? I mean, he did come with a great Loud noises. Wind, noise, fire, right, those things. Why are the nations listed? I'll tell you part of the reason here, and the exile is a really interesting connection. The idea of Joel is really interesting because what's happened is a reversal. These are the nations that have, sorry, when the people of Israel sin, God scatters them amongst the nations and the nations conquer them. Right? So what we have here in verse five are these devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout men should live in Jerusalem. They should live in the promised land. Why are devout men from other nations? Because they've been conquered, that's why. And so which nations have conquered them? The ones that are listed there. And now what's happening? They're now hearing God speak in the language of the nations. Now, the language of the nations is a key element in terms of judgment. You see, uh, only one or two of us actually speak Japanese here. 
But in Japan, lots of people speak English. Why? Well, who won the Second World War? That's why. Right? It's, it's one of the ways that people win and conquer is by imposing their language on the people they conquer. So here are Jews whose language is not Hebrew. Their language of these nations because they've lived in the exile so long. And that's what Joel, that's what, uh, that's what Joel chapter 3 is about, about the nations conquering, right? That here is the reversal of the judgment on Israel. Let's go to the next two questions that are much similar. What was the Spirit's message? Verse 11. Yes, that's the one. What is it? That's the message, the mighty works of God. So the people who have been in captivity in the nations are now hearing in their own language, the, the nation's language, the mighty works of God in Jesus, as you'll see in a moment or two. Last question then, what did Peter say was happening? Now, I don't want you to give me the whole speech. I want you to summarise the speech for us in a, in a word or two. What is happening what is Peter saying? They're not drunk. It's, what is it? Pouring out of the spirit. Good. That, that's, this is how everyone's going to be saved. Okay. Can anyone tell us what the point is? What is Peter's address about? What's he telling him? It's not being drunk. It's what? Yeah, it's the last days. It's the judgment. It's the end of the world. That's what he's saying. What is happening when the spirit comes like this? The end of the world. Um, Joel says, in the later days, Peter changes it to the last days. And one of the signs of judgment is that you have signs and wonders. And so he talks about the signs and wonders that are happening in the judgment. The moon turns to blood. The sun turns to darkness. This is the end of the world. This is the judgment at the end of the world he's talking about. And he talks in verse 20 about the day of the Lord has arrived upon them. and yet. Some can be saved. Now, why is he talking about the judgment like this? Well, our last passage for the evening. Uh, yeah, no, no, we've got two more. Is uh, to be looking at the rects of the Acts 2. So I need someone to read for us 22 to 36. Acts 2, 22 to 36. Acts 2, 22. Thirty-six. Yep. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell, will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not set that he would set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all we all are witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all, of it, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here's the moment, friends, for change of thinking for many people. Right? What does Peter go on and speak about? You'll notice the Holy Spirit's hardly mentioned now. Right? If you think the day of Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit, no. It's about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but the coming of the Holy Spirit happens because of the resurrection. And it points to the resurrection. And the resurrection is about the judgment of God. But this is how the world ends. It ends with the resurrection. So what he's saying is the resurrection has come. The judgment has come. The last days, the end of the world has come upon us. This is, this is the big message that is coming. You may remember when Ed and Edmund spoke about the Messiah in Isaiah 11. He has the spirit upon him to bring justice. And Isaiah 42, the servant comes to bring justice. And now the servant, Messiah, has risen from the dead. What's he going to bring? The judgment. And so he says, you look at Jesus, and the whole subject servant then turns on to Jesus, doesn't it? But he did the signs and wonders of judgment. The phrase signs and wonders constantly used in the Bible to mean judgment. Right? That's, that's the character of it. And Jesus, delivered up by God's plan, has now been raised from the pangs of death, not possible to be held by. And at this point, he becomes greater than David. David was the greatest king. David was the greatest Messiah. But there is a promise that another like David is coming. And he turns out to be greater than David because David's still dead. We know that because his tomb's still here. You see verse 29, 30. Even though David said in Psalm 16, which is quoted for us in verses 25 to 28, even though David said, you won't let your Holy One see corruption, David's seen corruption. Let's go check his tomb out. We can look. It's just down the road around the corner in Jerusalem. There it is. He's inside. He's corrupted. But Jesus is David's greater son. And so he talks of the resurrection of Jesus as being the moment of the outpouring of the Spirit. That's the final sign that Jesus has indeed been raised to sit at God's right hand in all power and authority. And so he quotes then in verse 34, 35, Psalm 110, where David says, Yahweh says to my master, the Lord said to my Lord. And the big question is, who was David's master? Because David was the greatest king they ever had. But David said, there is someone greater coming. Namely, his own son. 
how can his son be greater than him? Well, David's still in his tomb. His son is risen to sit at God's right hand and all his enemies are now being put at his footstool. And so the conclusion of the sermon is, verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And boy, there was a sting in the tail of this sentence, wasn't there? This Jesus whom you crucified. You know, if you ever get something wrong, that is really getting it wrong, isn't it? You know, the one that God has as the Lord and Christ who rules the universe, the one who's going to be your judge is the bloke that you just crucified. If there's a, you can't get anything much worse than that. You, you really have bombed out badly. And so that's why in verse 37, you see they're cut to the heart by this, because now they see the judgment has come. They haven't yet understood, they will in the next few verses, that salvation comes with the judge. All right? Now, this is what the sermon is. I've just bumped my computer and now Siri is asking how she can help me. She can help me by getting this through. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I may say, Siri never helps me with anything. But whatever I ask Siri to do, she always says, I can't help you with that. Romans 1. Siri, can you find Romans 1 for me? No, can't help me. Romans 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This is the gospel. Okay, here is the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the scriptures. The gospel of God concerning his son. His son was descended from David according to the flesh. He had to be David's son to be the Messiah. But more than that, he is declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And how do you see the gospel? By the Holy Spirit being poured out. Who could give the Holy Spirit to the world other than God or God's Messiah who comes to baptise with the Holy Spirit? And so we see all the different strands that we've been talking about tonight tied up in Jesus' resurrection. The coming of the Spirit is the kind of final twisting of the knot of what the, all the strands of the Bible are about. Because now we see the Christ, the suffering servant, who under the Spirit has paid for the sins of the world, risen from the dead, sits in authority, as the Lord and Christ and judge of the world and who starts the end of the world, the judgment day that has come upon us. So when people talk of, you know, the Pentecost is the, the birthday of the church or they talk about the Pentecost as being, you know, the coming of the spirit. Pentecost is about the judgment of the world. It's about the coming of the kingdom of God. It's about the enthronement of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the things that the coming of the Holy Spirit points to. It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit full stop. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit to point to Jesus' exaltation as Lord in Christ. Because it's really about the judgment and the coming of the kingdom of God. 
in, in the prophecies of people like Isaiah, they are speaking about an immediate situation which is symbolic of the long-term situation. So he's talking about the return of people from the exile physically, literally back to Palestine to restart the kingdom. But in the way they do come back physically and literally to restart the kingdom, it is symbolizing what God is going to do in bringing the real kingdom through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's a both end, not either or. See, today we've been seeing the Holy Spirit comes upon the Christ and the suffering servant who baptizes with the Holy Spirit because he's brought the kingdom of God. But then there's the other thing about the Holy Spirit coming. He comes upon all flesh. He, he comes upon all God's people in Ezekiel 36. So what does the Holy Spirit to you to do to you and to me when he comes. That's what we see next week. You'll love it because it's all about you. That is just being rude, just to kind of stir you as we leave. All right? Now, we're back into breakout rooms to finish the night in prayer. And uh, by all means, come back into the big group afterwards if you like or stay with the group that you're in and whatever it may be. We'll see you next week, though.